very warm welcome to you from Equa Marketing. This presentation is brought to you by Equa.com, a leader in digital marketing. Hi everyone, welcome to another episode of the Growing Dentist Podcast Show. Today I'm super excited to have Brett with me. Brett is the founder of yourpracticetherapist.com. He's a consultant who helps dental practices. Brett, welcome. Thank you very much. It's a real pleasure to be here. Brett, for those of us um, who have not heard of you yet, I know many have, um, can you kind of introduce us to you know, what you do and kind of uh, how you got into this and, of course, tell your story about working with Dr. Phelps, David? Yeah, Hart. absolutely. So I come to uh, dental consulting a little bit uh, different direction. I guess I'm, I'm not a dentist. Uh, I am a, a licensed therapist, a social worker, and have spent my entire career uh, working with individuals and groups uh, to increase the uh, dynamics of those relationships to uh, get um, really the most out of life for people, uh, both in a uh, maybe a one-to-one therapeutic relationship as well as in uh, group dynamics. And my wife and I, she's also a therapist, a licensed counselor. And a few years ago, she and I started a program called Marriages Worth Millions focused on entrepreneurial marriage success. And we met David Phelps, who turned us or got me started over into the dental world in a mastermind that we were all in. And David saw what we were building with Marriages Worth Millions and said, my dentists in my group need this. Can you guys come and, and support me at uh, Freedom Founders? And we're like, David, we'd love to help you uh, and uh, help your dentists uh, with their marriages and with their relationships. And I've been, uh, my wife is a very skilled uh, relationship therapist and I've done a lot of relationship work. Um, team dynamic and group work is really one of the areas that I have been a lot of specialty in. And as we got into the group and I started interacting with the dentist, they started coming to me and said, Brett, can you uh, help me? I, I'm having issues with the relationships inside my practice. My marriage is okay, but the relationships inside the practice are really struggling. What do I do there? and started to do a lot of coaching with the dentists on how to get uh, increased morale and productivity and cohesion really inside their hygiene, uh, hygienist teams or getting the, one of the things they ask all the time is how do I get my front end and my back end to talk with each other and, and get the front office and the back office you know, to work together better? And, uh, or what do I do under these high stress situations when um, everything has just seemed, seemed to go in, going to pieces. And so we started working on those relationship pieces that, you know, policy and systems don't really touch that human capacity and that human dynamic. And a lot of these folks had a really amazing policy procedure structure, but the nuance of the relationship wasn't there. And that is where uh, the... Uh, practice leadership formula and high production teams started to grow is from the interactions with the dentists and them asking from that, that human um, dynamic and that so, you know, psychology dynamic, what do I do here and how do I do this? And from that grew the programs that I now take in and help practices um, really nuance their systems that are already there in place and build cultures that uh, are really built on 
the the human side of it, which all of us are seeking. Now that really is how I came into this and and how the whole um, practice therapist came about. That actually that title actually came from one of the dentists that I was working with and and he said, So you're my practice therapist, aren't you? I'm like, Yep, that's exactly what I'm doing. Right. Can we talk about specific examples? Like, can you describe to me some of the recent uh, uh, situations you worked on? Let's dig a little bit deep. Like, tell, yeah, tell us absolutely. a story. Of course, you don't need to mention real names. Just uh, tell us, use, you know, imaginary names. But tell us some examples or stories of what happened and what did you do? Yeah, of course. Ab- absolutely. So one dentist that I was working with, uh, he's an amazing young doctor and uh, taking over the practice from uh, an older gentleman, actually his father. And in the transition, there was a lot of strife happening. Um, His philosophy, his mentality, his vision for what it was going to be, older staff that had been in the practice a long time. And and even though he had been there for a while, uh, working side by side with his dad, as his dad uh, was pulling out and this this doctor was taking over more and, and putting in more of his um, his vision some of the staff really struggled to get hold of it and there was a lot of contention that started coming up there was a lot of um, just nitpicky bickering that was starting to come up and a lot of it had to do with um, some of the new practices, what had always been done and what was starting to be done. Um, Leadership, who was in charge? Was it him? Was it his dad? Was it the office manager? And there wasn't a fluid transition of power and and, uh, a fluid transition of that leadership or the vision. So he and I talked quite a bit. One day he came uh, up to me and we talked at length. Uh, This was actually at a mastermind where he and I were talking. And he said, Brett, what do I do? I, I, I'm just constantly putting out fires and they're coming to me with all of these problems. And, and I don't know what's happening. So we have really good systems in place. They know what they're supposed to be doing, but nothing seems to be happening. And one of the first things I said to him was, how is it that you're validating their concerns? And he looked at me like, what are you talking about? And he, and he actually said, their concerns are stupid. These concerns are you know, irrelevant. What, how am I supposed to validate that? And I said, the concern that they're bringing to you may be, but their concern and what they're really asking you is extremely valid. And I had a a long conversation with them about core needs and, you know, talked to him about something I I teach quite often. And that is that, you know, when somebody, when, when there's a problem going on, um, it's because either somebody feels out of control they're no longer safe and secure. They don't know if they belong anymore and where they fit, or it's impacting their self-esteem. And I said, one of those four issues are going to be what it is that they're bringing to you. And I said, what is it? Think about the last one. And we started talking. And he says, I get it. Um, this hygienist came to me in a real issue, not at all because of the issue. She was feeling like things were out of control and she didn't know where it was at. And we were talking about her safety and security in life. And as soon as he realized that the the issue, the problem had nothing to do with the practice, it had nothing to do really with the procedure, but it was the change of, of leadership. It was the un, in, unsecure feeling that they were having. He was, he was like, I can address that. And I said, yeah, that's what you're validating. 
that's the piece that you're going in and validating. And when we got together again, he said, you know, it made all the difference. Listening to them and validating their fear or validating their concern, we really, uh, it eliminated the biggest problem they came to us. And that was just one example of where the solid relationship principles had made a huge, huge difference. Another, uh, we were talking, I was, I was working with a practice back east. Uh, I'm out uh, on the west, uh, west side of the country. And, and uh, this, I, I was teaching them this similar concept. And a, a question that comes out of relationship uh, work, and it's, are you there for me? And this hygienist just got this huge grin on her face. And, and I, I called, you know, called her in the group. And I said, what are, you, what are you thinking? And she said, that makes so much sense. Because whenever I realize and, and stop working on a tooth, and I remember that I'm working on a person, all of a sudden, the relationship goes so much better. All of a sudden, the, the patient feels so much calmer. But when I'm dealing with them as just another case, just another cavity, just another cleaning, and I become very sterile with it, the, the process is more tense. They're more uptight. There's more pain. But when I'm able to see, yes, I am there for you, and I treat the person, not the, not the tooth, everything comes together. And so those are some of the, the underlying principles that really feed into this, this you know, the, the theory and the process that I bring in in a couple of cases where we've applied that. Right, right. No, absolutely. Uh, that, makes, <clears throat> that makes a ton of sense. So what are the four things again? One is you talked about safety. Can you read? Yeah, so we're looking at the core needs. Now, you know, most of us have all taken some, you know, introductory psychology class and, and Maslow gave us that hierarchy of needs pyramid and this idea that, uh, you know, it's all stacked and hierarchical. And what I have experienced and found is that um, if there was one that was at all consistent at the bottom, it would be safety and security. We will seek safety and security at all times. Uh, no matter what, we, and, you know, we're seeing it right now without here in the West with all the fires that we've got going on. And then with the two hurricanes that just came through, um, people will seek security and safety no matter what. But after that, we've got, there's, there's three other core needs that we're seeking in all things. And one so before, is, before we go into the other three, yeah, spend a bit of time on safety and security. So you bet you, you give a, Amazing example, right? The old, the dad dentist was retiring yeah. and the people who were with the dad for years and years and years felt insecure, not safe. Yeah. Right? Because they don't know what the son is going to think of them. They don't know what's going to happen to them. They don't know if all the work they did over the last 10 years or five years is right. wasted. So uh, that's a classic example of somebody feeling unsafe. So typically in your experience, what makes a team member feel unsafe? Is it usually a change or is it like, and how do you do Like, let's talk a bit more about this. Give me sure. a few other examples. Yeah, we can dive into this. It's a great question. So some of the things that make us feel safe is anytime there is a change in, or even a perceived change. And I think that's a really important thing is it doesn't even have to be a physical, legitimate things have changed. If there is a perceived sense of change to where the organizational structure is different, to where somebody perceives that their um, security inside the practice has changed or their, their safety um, within 
is, is change at all. Now, the other thing too is that we may not be looking at issues inside the practice. Anything happening out in their personal life is going to infuse uh, their abilities inside the practice. So there may be things going on in their personal life that are now affecting this as well. But especially in the case of say a practice when you bring in like a new, um, a new process or even a new um, hygienist or a, or a front office, uh, if there's a new team member and that looks to be maybe the team favorite or um, the new uh, expert, you know, and, and it's going to rock your position that impacts your sense of safety and security. You know, how long am I going to be able to stay here? Is that person going to show me up? Is that person going to overtake what I'm doing? Are they better than me? Is a doctor going to like them more? Uh, the, a new system coming in. Maybe there's a, a new product or a new process. Well, you're really skilled in an old process, and the doctor is real excited about a brand new way of going about it, and it makes your way of doing the work obsolete. Um, that's going to impact your sense of safety and security, your longevity. What is my position now? How do I you know, function inside the practice? So you, we're always, always looking for you know, the threat that's coming at us. Maybe not, not consciously, but subconsciously, we're always looking at that threat to our safety. And it could come from a coworker. It could come from a transition in the leadership. It could come from... Uh, anything as simple as a new policy or even a new core value. And maybe so let's, let's pass this for a second. So, the, so I feel unsafe, right? Yes. What's the critical thing you have to do in that situation as the dentist? The number one thing that I coach and I tell people in any time, and it doesn't, you know, this goes for any relationship really, is you got to come back and validate the fear. It doesn't matter if in your mind you think it, it's ir irrational or irrelevant. It is 100% real to that person. And just validate it. Acknowledge it. It seems to me like it looks as if you are. I hear you talking about. I can totally understand that and see how you might feel that way. Now, in a statement like that, I validated that other person. I acknowledged what they were going through. But I didn't say I agreed with it, and, and I may totally disagree with it. But the first thing that you've got to do is help that person feel like they belong, which is another one of those core needs. And if they feel like, okay, the doctor gets me, the doctor understood and, and accepted what I'm doing, all of that fear just dissipates, and it comes down. And now you can have a real conversation. So the very first thing, when you see this going on, and uh, whether you know that it's a safety security thing or not, if, if you can listen and then validate what they're bringing to you, you're going to immediately calm that person's subconscious reaction and help them really quiet and become logical again. And, and now they're going to be able to get into a conversation. Too many times what happens is we try to logically go after it. And they're already emotionally round, wound up, and you can't logically talk with an emotional person. So when you validate and you acknowledge what they're experiencing, you're calming that fear, and you're helping them see that, okay, this person is there for me, and you immediately quiet 
and get them to a place of conversation. Now you can go to work and actually start addressing the the you know the concern uh, from a from a totally different position than if you're going after that fear. Right, right, right. I understand. So you're saying we have to start by validating it, and then by validating it, it totally gives them that safety that gives them that certainty they need. <clears throat> It, it, it allows them, I call it a limbic lullaby, because the limbic brain, the midbrain, which is all about emotion, it's fear, it's reactive, that's what's kicking up. A lot of times when you have these, you know, this discord inside your teams, it's because there's some kind of a fear or there's a reaction. Well, that's, that's that limbic reactive brain, and it's not our logic brain. And so if we try to address things from a very logic position, you're actually going to make it more frustrating because their emotional brain is the one that is fired up and they can't understand. It doesn't make sense when we talk to them logically. So when you come in and you know, praise them, I'm so glad you brought this to me. Thank you so much for bringing it to my attention. I can totally see how it would feel like that. What you're doing is instantly saying, I hear you, I get you, it's going to be okay, let's talk about it. And you quiet all of the fears and, and bring in that peace and, and you quiet that limbic brain and getting them back into their logic, rational self. Very important piece. Right. So, right. So what's the second uh, type of uh, you talk needs you said first is the safety. What's the second one? <clears throat> the next one that it, it, it kind of goes right along with the safety and security, but it's control. We all need to have control in our life and in our world. If you know, we're talking about this right now in terms of um, staff, but you can apply the same thing over to, to patients as well. Um, validate their fears, validate their concerns, praise them for coming in, and then give them a sense of control. Where do they have control in their in their job, in their process, in in the experience that's going on? We need control in our life. And we need to feel like we are in a sense of control. Because if, if we don't have control of something, immediately our safety and security is gone because now somebody else is in control. And so any type of system or process or um, management uh, process that takes control away, takes any kind of self-direction or autonomy from the individual is going to chip at their control. Um, and we want control somewhere. It doesn't have to be huge. You know, you can still have somebody else doing the scheduling, but are you at least including them into the process, talking to them, giving them a sense of control? Because when we are out of control, we're going to do anything we can to get back into control. Now, if you've ever driven on, you know, icy roads or really slick roads in a rainstorm and you lose control of the steering, the first thing you do is you clench and you try to get control somehow, somewhere. We do the same thing in our behavior and our emotion. And so many times the issues come back is that they feel out of control somewhere. And they're trying to, their, their, their conflict is because they're trying to find control or take control in some way or another. And one of the easiest ways, and as, as backward thinking as it may be, that we often create control, <clears throat> excuse me, is by creating chaos. 
because if everyone is out of control, we now have a sense of control, especially if uh, there has been any kind of, um, if we've created it in some way. It may not be a conscious decision, but there is this sense of collective chaos that calms everything because now everything's out of control and I don't feel like it's just me. But acknowledging and giving some sort of control into the situation, uh, e even if it's nothing more than allowing them to talk first, when you come in and you're talking to them and you validate their fears and their concerns, and then you give them control of the conversation by saying, tell me more about what's happening. Tell me what you feel needs to go on. That is giving them control and allowing them to kind of lead the conversation for a minute and it quiets that fear. So control is something that we all need in some way in our life. And when we feel out of control, it's going to spin up a lot of chaos. And maybe inside the practice, there's a new you know, process. Maybe there's a new reporting system. Maybe there's a new um, intake, outtake process. I mean, there's so many different areas. And the person doesn't feel like they have any more control in the way that they do it. It's all dictated to them. And that's an area where they can feel uh, that control is taken from them. Uh, their schedule is out of their hands anymore, and they have no control in that in that part of their life. A lot of places, when we feel out of control, we begin to feel unsafe. And so those two go hand in hand with each other. Right, right. And uh, so is it just that conversation you give them control, or are you talking about give them permanent control? Are you just talking about... I mean, I, I'm, I'm a bit not pretty clear. We talked about six, sorry, the four concerns or four needs that yeah. are not addressed, right? So um, are you talking about giving them control just in that conversation? Or are you talking about like literally giving them control? I think there's a, an element of both. So we mean in, in a conversation, especially if we are, say they're, you know, if we're the office manager or the practice owner or the dentist, uh, we are obviously the authority, right? And so there's there's already a, a sense of I am an underling, if you will, or this, this person is superior to me. And so there's a sense of control already being taken because of position. And so in the conversation, whenever you're leading this, uh, if you can give them control, let them lead hear them out. One of the things that's going to happen is you're going to hear a whole lot of information that's going to help you then as you communicate back with them because you've given them the permission to speak. You've given them the permission to lead and now they're going to give you a lot of information that you need to move forward with the conversation. So in the situation, you can give control just by sitting back and letting them take lead and talk about it. Uh, now, Inside systems, you can also give some sort of permanent control, if you will. Um, one of the things that I, that I really teach and train practices is what I call the individual excellence plan or the individual employment plan. And what this does is it transfers a lot of the responsibility and the control to the individual staff member. And they build their quarterly goals, their, their three-month plan what they're going to be working on, 
what skills they're going to be increasing, what conferences or trainings they need to go to, what their production numbers are going to be, and, and maybe what their bonus system is going to be. And with that, they now are in control, really, of the outcome of the next uh, three months of their employment. And that gives them a lot of security into who's in charge of this, what are my numbers, and they're the ones that are in total control of the outcome, depending on the way that it's set up. So that is one way that control can be given to them to where they feel very secure in this. This is mine. It's my obligation. And then it's not coming as a top down is if something isn't working right, let's well, go back to the, the IEP and say, where are we not meeting this? What, tell me what's not working right for you. And then they're able to look back and say, okay, I need to do this, this and here. And all that control is given to them in the performance and the outcome of their, their role and their duty inside the practice. And it's a way to give them a very strong sense of control inside the, the structure of the practice. And it, what it also does is from a, a leadership position is it pulls you back out uh, and you can become more of that mentor as opposed to the direct manager driving, pushing, and it gives that safety and that control over to the staff. And that's another way that you can do it. There are some systems, obviously, inside the practice that you can't just hand over to them. But if they have input, if they have some sort of uh, buy-in or collective conversation about it, now they don't feel like control is being taken from them because they at least had an opportunity to say something uh, in the input of it. I hope I hope that answered the question. Yeah, I mean, I can think of two examples. One is like um, we have small teams, and we 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 want every team to be the best in the world at their tiny piece of the puzzle. Um, so there's a limited scope in terms of what that area is, but within that scope, they have absolute control over you know killing things that are not working, you know, trying new things, modifying things. It's a great example. Yeah. So, uh, I mean, then, then I also can think of um, the Japanese, right, uh, where they encourage their team members. I mean, that's what Kaizen means. It's continuous improvement. Yes. Where they tell their people, go embrace mistakes. Tell us what's wrong so we can all together fix it and fix it and fix it. So, I mean, yeah. what we want to make one mistake for every million things we do. So it's, it's a massive uh, amount of, uh, and, and then nobody's micromanaging anybody, nobody's, so by leveraging that autonomy, leveraging that human ability to, you know, grow, right. uh, you are kind of giving them control, but at the same time, uh, now instead of um, you making one mistake for every thousand cars produced, you're making a million, one mistake for every million cars produced, which is amazing, right? That's almost impossible. That's right. You, I love your example of the sub team, the smaller teams. And one of the examples I use all the time is, is a baseball team. Um, because on a baseball team, you have nine very autonomous individuals working in their space. And now they're interconnected to the players right next to them, but they don't step over and just take over. And the manager of the team is not right there on the field dictating and directing everything. And you have 
he inside that, say, the pitcher on the pitcher mound and the catcher at home base. They are a sub-team functioning inside themselves. The catcher is watching the batter. He's watching the field and giving signal to the pitcher saying, you need to throw this pitch. Uh, and they are working very autonomous. You know, the, the, the team captain or, or the manager isn't out there. He's in the dugout. Uh, the pitching coach isn't out there on the mound directing what's happening. You've given control and autonomy to that team to function inside their space to their expertise. And that really is, is an ideal example of what we're talking about. Uh, because when somebody is trained up, when you've hired expert people and then trained them to your process, and now you empower them to go out and function in their capacity. And that's where the, the IEP really comes in because now every, you know, every three months you, you're able to review and build and grow their expertise. But then you send them out with total control inside their sphere with a total understanding of what it is that they're supposed to do in that space. And it, it builds up their ability to perform because now they're empowered to do it as opposed to micromanage. We're like, well, if you're just going to tell me what to do, why should I do it anyway? Or, you know, think for myself. And that's what we're, we're talking about. It's exactly what you just laid out with that self-directed learning and uh, that growth uh, over time through experience. Right. So we talked about safety. We talked about control, right? And yeah. uh, what's the third one? The other is, is uh, and again, these aren't necessarily um, hierarchical, but we have a sense of belonging. We all need to belong to something. And uh, our community, our sense of belonging, our sense of fit inside of that increases our feeling of being welcome, our feeling of being a true team member. I mean, we've all been in situations where you feel like the third wheel at a party and like you don't really fit in. And so one of the things that is really critical for team morale or production is that that team member feels very strong about their sense of belonging and the community and that they really belong to something bigger than just coming and doing a job. Because we could all find a job somewhere. And Can you give me an example of uh, when it was broken in a dental practice and uh, how you kind of overcame? Sure. Yeah, yeah. So uh, a, uh, a hygienist had been working in a position for quite some time and really felt good about her place and her position in there. And then as the practice grew, a... Uh, a new, young, very dynamic, vibrant um, hygienist was brought in to help assist in the growth of the practice. Well, that the, the person who had been there for quite a while began to feel like perhaps they were being replaced. Uh, the doctor hadn't done any kind of validation or pre-work saying, hey, you know, things are going really well. We're growing and I appreciate everything that you've done over the years with the practice to get us to this point. Um, here are some of the things that I see needing to happen and how we need to grow. And let they didn't let the person know kind of what was going on. This new person was just brought in and then started to get brought up to speed. 
And so they started to feel like, well, where do I fit anymore? Where is my position? Do I even belong here? Uh, am I valued? Am I part of this team? Or am I the older person who's now starting to get phased out? And so, again, some of that safety and security that runs underneath all of this because they weren't feeling where they you know, secure in where they fit their belonging and how they now fit inside the team because there were dynamics being changed in the team itself. And so we had to go in and, and you know, help the doctor again, back to what I said before, validate that fear, validate that concern. And it's like, oh my gosh, I can see how you feel that way. Uh, no, you're truly valued here and we want you. Here's what I see for you. So that transfer of vision, that getting them to understand why the change was necessary became very important in making the transition. But when the, when the transition just happened around them, now all of the, person, the, the person started feeling like, well, wait, where do I fit? How does this impact me? What's my position and my belonging here? The other uh, example is a practice that I, I've worked with who were very systems driven. Um, it was all procedural, it was very sterile, it was very cold, and there wasn't a real sense of belonging or community. You just came in, you did your job, you went home, everything was great, you came back and did it again. And so when you go into that practice, it was very sterile, it was very cold. Um, the, the staff felt it, the patients felt it. And while the, the, the product was exceptional, their skill level was phenomenal, that sense of belonging wasn't there. You could get the product anywhere. And so really building a culture that infused um, that sense of belonging into it, a real true team uh, and not just a well-managed staff who did their job well and, and left, but a real sense of community that we're here for a singular purpose. We share the same vision. We understand the core values and we, we embody them in what we do. That was vital in that situation. They had great systems. They had amazing skill and expertise in the craft, but they hadn't transferred that down to that sense of community, that sense of belonging and a shared vision for what it was that they were doing. So, how do you create a sense of belonging? Is that the purpose or is that different from the purpose? Or I, I, I want to understand. Okay. Yeah, it, it is the purpose. The, the vision and the purpose of the practice, who it is that we serve, why it is that we serve them, and the core values of the practice itself, the things that we stand for, the, the, the deliverables that we're putting out every day and how that comes back to serve everybody as a team player. And so one of the ways that you, you build that is having a community mindset from the beginning, that we are a team, we're a family, if you will, uh, and we treat each other uh, with the utmost respect, and we, we look for and amplify each other. And we don't just blindly do our job within our little silo. But um, again, back to that baseball analogy, um, the, the, the pitcher 
and the the catcher have to be very connected with each other. They have to function uh, and belong in that team. Otherwise, it doesn't work well. Uh, the the third baseman and the left fielder and the and the center field, uh, as well as the shortstop, all have to feel connected because they're working side by side. All of that comes down to culture. You know, what are you doing in your team meetings to build uh, culture, to build connection? Are you amplifying people? Are you uh, celebrating uh, individual wins and um, elevating uh, certain individuals and making sure that that those small acts uh, are really shown uh, to, to make sure that people are seen? Uh, and that's the major difference inside a uh, machine-like practice as opposed to a community practice. And that sense of community is going to decrease turnover. It's going to decrease um, the tension inside because now there's a real reason to come to work. And the, the way that you amplify the purpose and the vision in the huddle meeting as you get ready for the day and you talk about the values and what it is that you're doing beyond just the dental work. Um, and then the way that you do it in your bigger staff meetings by elevating and promoting, you know, individuals or talking about successes, all of that comes back to culture and the type of culture that you create. I, and I, I heard it just a little bit ago and, and I totally agree with this is that every practice has a culture. Uh, it doesn't matter if you've cultivated it or if it's naturally happened. Um, but sometimes the culture that you you have isn't the best one and you need to take an active stand. Um, and that all comes back to the purpose. Who is it you're serving? Why are you serving? What is it you're doing? And what are the values that you're putting out? And when those are very, very clear, uh, now you have the ability to create a sense of community and a belonging that your patients are going to want to stay and come back to because they feel it and your staff uh, now rise to it and they have something. Can you, can you yeah. give me an example of uh, building that community feeling and, and like before and after kind of a story? Yeah. yeah, yeah. So there, there was a, there was a practice that uh, they were, they were very, very good at what they did. They were skilled in the process, but everything was process and everybody did their job. They were cordial with each other, but it just was cold. And we went in and we said, okay, what is it that you are doing? And we built a core value and we started to look at what is it that your practice stands for? And the, the dentist had a real desire to have a practice that, um, embodied this, we want everyone to have, you know, a healthy smile is a healthy person. And they really believed that. Um, and so we wove that concept through the entire mindset of the practice. A healthy smile is a healthy person. Uh, because if you, if you have a healthy smile, then you're going to, um, feel better about yourself and it's going to increase the way you think about yourself. So we took that idea and started to run it through everything. The way that the, the practice manager interacted with the staff, the way that the staff interacted with each other, how can we swap smile more? Uh, where is your smile? And, and if somebody isn't smiling, how can we get them to smile? 
because, you know, a healthy smile is a healthy person. And so now we started to bring in a dynamic where this, this vision that the dentist had for why he was doing the work started to transfer into why everybody else came to do the work with them. And from that, we were able to build core values that said that we, we do this work because, um, and the core value of the integrity, you know, we're going to have ab absolute integrity in the way that I do my work, the way that we do our billing, the way that we do, you know, patient care and the patient follow-up that the sense of integrity is a, is a result of the health of the practice. Uh, the, patient-centered approach, looking at the patient, not the tooth, looking at the person, not just the case, um, so that we were able to deal with the whole person and not just the, the tooth issue that they were bringing in. As we created that culture and really started to infuse it, everybody was able to get on board with that. They're like, this is what I believe too. I can get on board with that. And now this sense of community, I wasn't just coming to work to do a job, to do the cleanings, to do the fillings, to take care of the books, whatever it was. There was now a real sense of we're doing this to create healthy people with healthy smiles. And that amplified the whole purpose for why they were coming to work. And as a result of that, the sense of belonging, the sense of community amplified and the way that they treated the patients amplified as well. Makes sense. Let's touch on the next piece. So we talked about yeah. um, safety, control, uh, belonging, and is belonging slash community or just? No, you, you, we belong to communities. We belong to families. We belong inside of these. And so you're building a community where people feel like, I really belong there. These Got are it. people I want to be with. And so that's the, you know, that the community is, is kind of what you're creating. So there is a sense of belonging uh, as they come to it. Right. And then finally, let's talk about um, what's the fourth need? Esteem. Self-esteem. And all of us, you know, all of us are seeking esteem in one way or another. Uh, you know, a few months ago, my, my wife and my daughter, uh, my daughter was visiting uh, for a, a few days and they went out and went shopping and came home with uh, a bunch of new drapes and decorations for the house. We really didn't need them, you know, but as we got looking at it and I started listening to my wife, it wasn't at all about the drapes. It wasn't at all about the decorations. It was an issue of esteem that she had something beautiful to look at the window and look at the world past and through that when somebody comes by, there was uh, something beautiful over the window. And this issue of esteem, be it social esteem or personal esteem is really important. If anything jeopardizes that, um, we begin to look for it in one way or another. We're always seeking it. Yeah, if, if you think about it, very few people really need veneers. You know, very, very few people um, need orthodontics. Uh, a, a very good friend of mine is an orthodontic, uh, uh, orthodontist, a very skilled orthodontist. And, and he said, you know, nothing that I do in the majority of the cases 
is necessary. It's all vanity. But yet, because of esteem, people want it and they will pay for it and they're seeking it. Well, the same thing goes for why people want to work for your practice, why somebody wants to come to work and, and be a dentist or why they want to be a hygienist or the, the esteem that comes from saying, I am the office manager for this dental practice. And that, that sense of personal esteem and accomplishment and importance, the more we can boost that, the more that we can validate it and elevate it, now that person is going to come in and say, yeah, I am absolutely uh, the, uh, you know, I'm, I'm a hygienist at this practice because it's the best place in the world to work. Uh, and we'd go after esteem in so many, in so many areas, uh, be it the friends that we have, like I say, the practice we work in, the careers that we went into, all of that goes to elevate our sense of well-being, who we think we are, or the way that others see us. And so by creating a culture that is something that people want to be part of, the, the, this friend of mine, that the, the orthodontist, he says, I have a waiting list of people who want to come and work here because of the culture and because of the ability to say, yeah, I work for Dr. Johnson's orthodontics and that esteem that is attached to that. And so we want to make sure that everything that we're doing is elevating that sense of, um, uh, you know, that sense of personal accomplishment and that sense of, yep, that's me and I get to do that and I'm there. And when esteem starts to drop, and maybe it's you know somebody in the in the practice, they were say the, the leader of a team, and now there's been a shakeup, and the leadership has shifted a little bit. Well, their esteem may have been attached to and part of the that position that they were having. Now, no fault of their own, you did some changes inside the practice, but they've now lost their position. They're still doing the same work. They're still doing, you know, great work for you and, and their skills are still excellent, but something shifted and the esteem is off or they don't feel as appreciated and it can be daunting. And if it's, you mean I got to go around and pat everybody on the head and I'm just, you know, placating their, their emotions. No, you don't have to be that you know blatant about it, but do you have a practice where people feel so validated and that your culture is so spot on that there is a sense of, I want to work here because we will, you know, we'll, we'll go after um, certain things that boost our esteem. Uh, another example is I, I drive a little uh, convertible. I've had two seat convertibles uh, almost all my life. I love them. And I went onto a car lot one day and was, was looking at a car for my wife. And the guy didn't even acknowledge the fact that I'm in this little roadster and started talking to me about sedans. And I hadn't even told him yet that I was looking for something for my wife. I was just looking for a new car. Well, my car is absolutely impractical. It doesn't make sense. I can't take hardly anybody with me. So there's a reason that I drive it. And it's an esteem issue. I like driving around in these and it boosts how I feel about myself. So watching for those things, what is it about this person? Why do they have a certain handbag? Why do they always wear a certain type of scrubs? What are their, you know, what is it about them 
And why is it that they do that? Now all of a sudden you're getting a glimpse inside of them. And you, unlike the car salesman who never even addressed, hey, you really like little sports cars. And you know, you know, show you this sports car over here. He missed an opportunity. We miss opportunities all the time because we're not looking at those little things that say a lot about a person. And all you have to do is acknowledge them and you know, talk about them a little bit. You know, stroke somebody's ego just a little bit to make them feel good. Like, oh, wow, you, you noticed me. That I feel good. That thank you. Now, all of a sudden, their esteem goes up and their desire to be with you goes up. And uh, that, that sense of belonging is amplified whenever we have a, a higher sense of esteem. And it could come, like I said, from our position, from the, the job that we're doing, from the title we have, or just the practice itself because it's such a premier place and the culture is strong. And so esteem is a major piece. Right, right. No, that makes a ton of sense. I can continue talking to you for a long time, but I do have to wrap up. Uh, this is fascinating. You know, uh, you know, at the end of the day, we are humans, right? We are not machines. So, That's right. And um, so you can, this is like amazing. Um, if people want to get a hold of you, what's the best way to reach you? One of the easiest ways to get a hold of me is either at uh, yourpracticetherapist.com and there's a link there uh, to contact me or they can just direct, email me directly at consult at yourpracticetherapist.com and uh, you know, I'm totally open to talk to folks and uh, help them out and to see what's going on and, and uh, give some insights maybe into what's happening. So consult, uh, C-O-N-S-U-L-T at yourpracticetherapist.com is just send me an email and, and uh, we can set something up. Perfect. Perfect. I'm, uh, I'm looking forward to talking to you again. I learned a lot today. Thank you. Thank you, Brett, for your time. And once again, everyone, thank you for listening to another episode of the Growing Dentist podcast show.